Welcome to the Higher Potential Living Podcast, where we discuss improving quality of life by exploring mind, body, and spirit through a mindful lens. Here's your host, Jason Marichello. Hello and welcome everyone on this episode of Higher Potential Living. Uh, we're joined by a very special guest, me. Um, I've done one episode like this before where there's just been some concepts in my mind and some things that uh, have come up in questions people have asked or things that have come up in workshops and it's just felt like time to kind of throw an episode together. So on this episode, I'm talking about uh, codependency. I'm talking about um, some attachment stuff. I'm talking about setting boundaries and communication. So hopefully you get something out of this episode. Enjoy. Okay, so welcome everyone. For those that listen to this podcast or for those that know me, know that oftentimes there's different things that are on my mind, different subjects, different concepts that I'm contemplating and thinking about. And a lot of the times that's what I'm kind of trying to find podcast guests to join me and talk about. And this concept that we're about to talk about today kind of came up in a sweat lodge that I was at uh, last month. And I've kind of spent the last, you know, few weeks kind of thinking about it and sitting into it and reading more about it and everything. And like most of the concepts that we talk about on the show, generally speaking, fairly simple concepts. But when we start to dive into it, it's just sometimes the way that it's structured and framed that can be the the little thing that just flips the switch and allows us to see it in a completely different way. Or sometimes it's just about where you are in life that allows you to be able to be more perceptive to different teachings. I know I've uh, read The Power of Now probably three or four different times, and each time I go through it, I always you know, have these different epiphanies, different aspects, different things that I've taken out of it, or same like every time I go through the Bhagavad Gita at different points in my life, there's different kinds of things I can take away from it. So what we're going to be talking about today is something that was introduced to me as the codependency triangle. And I've also seen it now that I've looked into it more as uh, the drama triangle. But I think we kind of get the idea that this is a lot about different narratives that we go through that kind of set us up for kind of the identity that we we claim for ourselves in our life, which dictates the way that we interact with other people, with how we interact with ourselves, and ultimately how it kind of guides our life. So let's paint a little picture here. So the codependency triangle has three different points on it, as a triangle does. It has the victim, the rescuer or the fixer, and the prosecutor. So we have the victim, the rescuer, or the fixer, and the prosecutor. And those are at each of the three different points on this triangle. Now, the thing with a lot of these different kind of triangles, um, as we're recognizing the way that they connect with each other, is it doesn't matter which of the three points you fall on, you're supporting the existence of this triangle. And ultimately, you're supporting the other two points. It's like these are pillars for life. And if you are helping to hold up or create the container for this, you are in turn helping to keep this thing afloat. And in this case, we're talking about codependency or this this victimhood, or uh, also we can call it the drama. So let's look at how we can take these different roles. So again, the way it was kind of explained to me, which I loved in the in the sweat that I went to, someone said, you know, we can be 
all three of these for ourselves at in one evening. So let's say we had a really bad day at work. This is what the uh, the person leading it explains it as. Say you're having a bad day at work. You come home. You're in a victim mentality. You say, oh, man, that was just the worst. and I had the worst day. So now you're that victim. So, okay, let's go into the rescuer or the fixer. Well, how am I going to make myself feel better? You know what? I should probably go and just get myself a big old tub of ice cream, sit down and eat that. That's going to make me feel better. So I go ahead and I do that. And then what happens for most of us is we shift into the prosecutor. And all of a sudden we start this negative self-talk about you shouldn't have done that. You're disgusting, fat pig, all of this kind of stuff. And we feel bad about ourselves. We, you know, we're diagnosing ourselves as being things like lazy and we just place more labels, which in turn makes us feel, you know, later we're going to feel more like the victim and then we're going to have to try to fix it. Okay, well, what do I do to make myself less lazy? Let's do this and this and this and this and this. And that's all just within, you know, ourselves and the way that we interact with ourselves. But we can also have this with other people. So we'll get this all the time. And maybe we shift between which role that we are. And because we're shifting which role we're in, maybe it feels like we are pretty balanced in that, where in fact, we're just going to continue in this cycle. So, you know, we've been, we've felt the victim before. There's a lot of times where we have definitely had some woe is me Um, You know, this was unfair. This happened to me. This shouldn't have happened to me. And like, don't get me wrong. Shitty things happen to all of us. That that is life. Some some have uh, debated whether or not the whole point of life is to experience pain and the different levels of pain. So shitty things happen. It's a matter of how we hold on to that. This this lends itself to a lot of like the secondary mentality of when we're holding on to things, it's like continuously shooting ourselves with the arrow and those arrows are coming from us. So holding on to it and what aspects of it that we hold on to is what shifts us into this victim mentality. So what was me? This thing happened to me. Okay, so what do we do? Well, maybe we'll reach out to some friends of ours. And when we reach out to people, we know our friends. Maybe we're reaching out to that person who we know just always has the answers. And so perhaps we reach out and we say, hey, you know, this is what's going on. What do you think I should do about this? I get this question asked to me all the time from different uh, people in my community, different friends. What do you think I should do about this? How should I deal with this person? They're doing this. They're doing this. They're doing this. And what we're looking for is we just don't want to have to worry about it anymore. You know, life is hard enough for us already. Can someone just please tell me the answer? And it's really interesting because we can almost even uh, extrapolate this into kind of the way that some people even turn to religion sometimes. We want to be found. We want to be rescued. We want someone to just hold us in this metaphysical, in their metaphysical arms and just tell us that everything is going to be okay. And there are times where we just feel beat down and that's what we need, whether it's something tangible or otherwise that's going to comfort us. It's this repeated pattern that we can kind of fall into with this because each of these different nodes on this triangle can be really addicting. And it can also just set these new behaviors. It can set conditions. It can set patterns, like I said, that we just continuously fall into because it starts to become the only thing that we know. So what was me? I reach out to a friend. Tell me what I should do. What do you think I should do? And maybe they tell us the thing we want to hear. Maybe they don't, which can then further perpetuate this idea of, oh, I have shitty friends or whatever. And again, we can become the victim even further in this this, uh, dialogue. Or maybe our friends become the prosecutor. The prosecutor can be 
you know, the idea here is someone who's either going to just be very straightforward and actually make you feel more like a victim and say, well, you kind of had this coming. You did this and this came to you and this happened. And this comes from people sometimes when we ask them for it or not. Um, we get this a lot of the times from family. We, you know, we get a lot of people out there that just loved to say, I told you so. And what that's going to do is, again, perpetuate this victim mentality. Um, other ways to just kind of, you know, be the prosecutor is sometimes prosecuting others. But you see this pattern because it's perpetuating, again, the victim mentality. Like, oh, no, you, you, you're you totally in the right to feel this way. That person was an asshole and they did this to you and they did. And, and you're going to you're going to identify the prosecutors or the people who are prone to being prosecutors in their life and in, in your lives because they're going to be the ones that are not necessarily, and we do this too, not necessarily looking at the facts and saying, yeah, well, this this kind of happened and perhaps they looked at things this way, perhaps they didn't. And instead of holding it more in the arbitrary of the unknown, because we really don't know what's happening in each other's minds, we barely even know what's happening in our mind half the time, they're the, they did this because of this. And this is why this is the thing. And let me tell you how this can be better. Or let me tell you how this could be different. And they treated you like this. Prosecutors often speak in very definitive language. It's very much so, uh, I have the answers, let me tell you. Or I know better, so let me tell you how you should have done things better. And again, sometimes those people feel good. Sometimes all we want is for someone to say like, yeah, no, totally. That guy was a jerk. They did this. You know what? The only reason why they did this is because X, Y, and Z. And again, it feels almost like when we're going to the rescuer and all we want are answers, it feels comforting. It feels like, oh, okay, this is the way for me to get out of being a victim is to just have other people just simplify things for me. And it simplifies the narratives in my mind. But there is a whole other way for us to just get out of this triangle altogether because within this, in the center of this triangle, is this like lack of power. Because each of the people here on these three different nodes end up not really stepping into their power and end up perpetuating stress in such a, in such a dramatic way. So on the contrary to this, it was presented to me that there is a mirror triangle. And you can call this the, the power triangle is how it was presented to me. So the power triangle means that each of these three nodes also has a mirror side. So instead of the victim, maybe I could be the survivor. Maybe I could be the thriver. So now all of a sudden, you know, again, um, if I had a bad day, like, oh, man, you know what? There was a lot of tough things thrown my way today. But I nailed it. I crushed it. Yeah, I'm tired now. But of course, I'm tired because I just like got through that. Good for me. Completely different than getting home, collapsing on the couch like, oh, my God, that was the I just had the worst day and all the worst things happened to me. And yet, if you can like just subtle switching of that narrative all of a sudden puts you in a very power position when it comes to like neuro-linguistic programming, when it comes to that positive self-talk. It's like, look what I can do. Look what I can accomplish. Look how I can step into my power and overcome things. So that's switching that one node from the victim and into the area of survivor and thriver. If we go to the fixer, and here's the funny thing about the fixer, because if we're in the role of the fixer or the rescuer, We'll feel so good about ourselves sometimes, like, oh, I did good work today. I really helped them. But this kind of goes into that old analogy of like, give a person a fish, you feed them for a day, teach them how to fish, you feed them for a lifetime. 
being a fixer makes people dependent on you. And this is where that codependency aspect comes from. So maybe you yourself don't often fall into the victim role or you don't let yourself fall into the quote-unquote victim role, but maybe you just love being the fixer, but you are perpetuating codependency in everyone else that you're quote-unquote fixing because we're not necessarily teaching them that they can fix it themselves. So instead of being the fixer, again, a subtle change is to be kind of like the supporter or the coach there. So instead of giving them the answer, can we, you know, I've been doing coaching for a long time. As a coach, people want you to just like, I'm stuck, what should I do? And it's frustrating at first when people start working with you because instead you say, well, okay, well, what do you think you should do? And I know that sounds like the biggest coach cop out. And I've been there myself with my own coaches. We're just like, oh my God, that's so like boring textbook. What do you think you should do? Why do you think you're feeling that way? But we want to start challenging these people who have this victim mentality. Like, you know yourself, you know your life, you know your story, you know everything that's going on better than I ever can. So what's a way to kind of be in support there? Like, oh man, that does sound like you were, you know, having a hard time, Um, but you got through it. And we can even support, uh, we can support the survivor, we can support the thriver, but we don't want to do it for them. So it's like, yeah, that sounds tough. You know, is there something that you want to do? You know, just offering a, an ear and a safe place for people to experience shifting from the victim into the survivor or the thriver. It's like, yeah, yeah. How does that make you feel? Maybe just asking those questions instead of telling people, asking the questions. Because remember, again, this, the fixer is going to be the person like, okay, let me tell you what to do because I have all this experience and everything else and, and I'll know better than you. So I'll tell you exactly how you should move forward from here. But asking the questions, and sometimes that's just a, a strategy or it's a, it's a huge skill in of itself is to what are the right questions to ask? And you can just ask yourself, you know, what are questions that you wish were asked upon you sometimes? It's like, yeah, how did that make you feel? Totally, totally. Yeah, that's right. Oh, man. So how would you move forward from here? Yeah, I could see that being a, totally something that, yeah, you know, supporting, supporting, supporting. And, you know, within all of these, something that needs to be understood too, when we're breaking down a codependency pattern, there's an element here where we have to, everyone within these nodes need to address at some point in time, boundaries. And that's another way to break the codependency triangle. So if you tend to be the person that people want to be the fixer because you just seem to have the answers, a way to make someone who is in that victim node kind of realize and recognize that they need to, to deal with things themselves is to set boundaries and say, you know what? I can't be this person for you. I can't do this at this point in time. I don't have the energy to give to you. I can't, you know, X, Y, Z. Again, they may be a little bit angry, a little bit sour, a little bit sore in the beginning, but that's the only way that uh, sometimes that it seems people get the push to step out of the victim is by setting boundaries. And same thing if you have someone who's making you and perpetuating you as being the victim by being the prosecutor. We can get this with family sometimes like, oh, you didn't do enough in your life. And why didn't you finish with that degree? You know, your brother is so much, I don't know, whatever that kind of stuff may be. Sometimes as the victim, you can break the cycle. 
by setting boundaries. Like, no, I'm not going to sit here and take that anymore. I'm not going to listen to you talk to this person or talk about this person this way. I'm not going to let you talk to me about this way anymore. Unless you're willing to have a more open, calm conversation about this, then this dialogue is over. So in all of these different, you know, sections here, and between all the different nodes, boundaries is a very strong way that we can start to break down and break apart this triangle. But now if we jump back into this power triangle that we're looking at here, let's talk about the mirror side of the prosecutor. And that can sometimes be a tricky one because again, when we're breaking down these triangles, there could be some similarities between the prosecutor's mirror side, which is more of like the challenger and the coach. So now, you know, if you're no longer in these three nodes, the idea of breaking down the prosecutor who's typically saying like, he did this, she did this, all this kind of stuff, the challenger might be like, why did you do that? In a similar fashion that the the rescuer, where the rescuer, maybe the mirror node is more of like, I don't have the answers, but what do you think the answers are? The prosecutor that's typically saying they did this because of this, it may be just, again, some more questions around why do you think they did that? Why do you think you did that? You know, and again, just in all of these, just supporting ourselves and each other to be in their power, because that ultimately, again, in the center of that victim triangle is a lack of power. So if we look at what fuels these between the rescuer and the victim, there's a lot of guilt. The fixer and the the victim, there's a lot of guilt there. There's a lot of blame between the prosecutor and the victim. And there's a lot of unclear boundaries between rescuers and prosecutors. And sometimes that's a debate in of itself is, you know, you're trying to be in one of those nodes and you have someone else who's stopping you and so on and so forth. This is getting really convoluted at this point in time. But the idea that's fun to kind of contemplate into this is not only to think about who in your life, maybe you make a list, maybe you write things down. It's not only to contemplate who in your life kind of sits in these different nodes, but which of these nodes do you fall into for different people in your life? And again, understanding that even if you feel like you're in a place of doing good as a fixer, is there a way for those people that are turning to you as the fixer, is there a way to shift into more of the the coach or supporter uh, role? Because ultimately, again, we want to, yes, it feels good to be needed. Yes, it feels good to be wanted and to have people reaching out to us and all that kind of stuff. But are our interactions always for our benefit or for the, the benefit of those that we love as well? And to be a fixer is tiring. This idea, like, am I going to be held to what I say and all of this kind of stuff, but empowering individuals um, really allows us to work on ourselves more as well. So that's the whole element behind these two triangles. And we can allow that as we contemplate that and we kind of make these lists of who are we for different people and who are different people to us. We can start to kind of just look at our narratives in general. Because I was leading a workshop um, recently and someone who's taken a few of my courses, you know, we were checking in and I asked, well, how's, how's life going? What's the last week been like for you? Have you been using, you know, the things we were learning in this course? And they said, you know, there's been a lot of stress. And it's frustrating because I can't just turn the stress off. I would have thought by now taking these mindfulness courses and doing all this meditation that I'd be able to just like turn the stress off. 
And I had to kind of think about that. And I had to think about the way that I myself use the mindfulness and meditation tools. And anyone who, I don't know, just thinks about turning it off without diving into the deeper to the deeper depths of it will know that anyone who's tried that, it always kind of comes up again. I think about like, I don't know, an analogy of a hose and there's just all this water coming out of the hose. Like, okay, okay, whoa, we're flooding all over the place here. I should just shut it off. So then maybe you, I don't know, put a valve in or something like that. Well, in some cases, maybe that works, but there's still going to be a lot of pressure in that line. And depending on the source of that water, the pressure might just keep building and building and building until the hose bursts. So yes, temporarily, it might mean, okay, we're not flooding on the floor here or anything like that. But unless we use that, and and sometimes that is something that mindfulness can be great for. Don't get me wrong. You know, in mindfulness practices, a lot of the time we talk about creating a little bit of space from, you know, the things that are more conceptual, the things that are happening tomorrow or that happened yesterday uh, by being more in the moment. That can give us some space. And maybe we can use that in this analogy to like turn the hose off or kink the hose so we could maybe go and get a bucket, put it under and then address the water as it's coming out. Maybe that's a great way to use this. But ultimately, if we can use that respite, we use that moment to have a break to actually do some of what people refer to sometimes as the shadow work or the deeper work to actually try to figure out what's the root of this water. Where is it coming from? What's adding so much pressure to it? And then if we can change that, if we can alter it in some way, because I feel like that is what we often do when, you know, talking again about like victim and all of that kind of stuff with our narratives, we want to keep our same narratives, but we want to change the outcome. We want to keep the same level of entitlement. We want to keep the same level of expectations and still put out the same kind of assumptions and all this kind of stuff. We want it to affect us differently. And that is the kind of the least efficient way to kind of go about dealing with these things. So think about that. I want to still have the same narrative. I want to still have the same approach to it things, but I want, I want a different outcome from it. And it's just kind of, you know, silly when we put it so simply, and I don't want to underplay how complex our emotions and our thoughts actually are. But if we can change the actual narrative, the root behind whatever it is that's causing us our stress, then that's where we're really doing the work. And that's when we can have those aha moments that shift things. So oftentimes the aha moments aren't things like, oh, okay, so, you know, my wife is doing this to me and is treating me this way and everyone at work treats me like shit, but I'm just going to tell myself I'm going to be okay with it now. And I'm okay with it now. Good. Ah, man, why isn't this mindfulness practice? I'm not okay with it yet. Okay, now let's try this again. This is happening to me and this person's doing this to me and nobody wants to be my friend, but I'm going to use my mindfulness powers and I'm okay with it now. It doesn't work that way because we still have the story of, you know, they're treating me this way and all this kind of stuff. So instead, can we go back to the lowest common denominator? Can we find the root? Okay, nobody wants to be my friend. Well, there is a heavy narrative. So let's dive into that. What's going on in my friend's lives? Is there a lot happening here? And maybe I'm placing a lot of expectations for people to be the fixer for me and all of this kind of stuff. 
And yeah, maybe I should recognize that they have a lot of stuff going on too. And you know, they've never actually treated me poorly. The only reason why I'm counting them as a bad friend is because they just seem really depleted the last few times I've tried to lean on them. But does that make them any worse of a friend? Does that make them, you know, uh, a, a worse person? Well, okay, maybe I should cut them a little bit of slack here. And you know what? Yeah, they've actually only ever been supportive. And they've always said that I can read out, reach out to them when I need them. It's just that they're really busy. And again, this is where the boundaries come into play because that's a clear you know, boundary that whoever we're theoretically talking about here may have set in place there. And that's where those resentments come into the boundaries and we tell ourselves, I'm just going to be okay with it. But if instead we can see that with love, like, yeah, no, they've always been supportive in their way. Maybe they're not the supported in the way that I need right now, but I can't always hold people to the expectations to be able to show up the way I need them every time I need something. Or like love, you know, well, have they ever actually shown me that they don't love me? No, but they don't always show me love in the way I want love to be shown. Okay, well, should I, should I hold that against them just because they may speak a different love language than me or you know, just where they are in life right now may only allow them to show up in a certain way. But they've actually always been really loving. And now all of a sudden, you know, I hold that person in my mind, I don't think about the negativity, I'm not thinking about what they're not doing. This is the difference between like an abundance mindset and a scarcity mindset of what haven't they been giving me? What haven't they been doing for me? And switching into what have they done? They've, they've been amazing. They've been able to do this. They've done this. And every time we do get together, even though it's not as much as I want it to be, they're just always such a beautiful energy and all of this kind of stuff. So there's an example of how all of a sudden we can just shift completely. Not like I'm going to be okay with them being an asshole. Let's try to reframe the narrative into, oh, they're not actually assholes. I just had a different outlook on the way that we're interacting. And now you don't have to just be okay with anything because that narrative's gone. It's broken. We can now reassess. And we can apply this to all kinds of different things. And this is why our narratives, our stories are so, so, so important. And this is what, you know, the pain body that Eckhart Tolle may talk about, the monkey mind, the ruminating thoughts. And unfortunately, this is what a lot of like depression can lead us down the road of is ruminating thoughts because of our assumptions. So we're going to, without knowing the big picture, we're going to make assumptions. And because we have these pain bodies and, you know, we have stress and all of this kind of stuff, we're going to make negative assumptions first. And those lead us into a lot of the times the victim mentality and, and just lead us into a place of more sadness, more depression, maybe more anxiety. And so one of the questions that comes up a lot is why? Why do we do this? Why do we go to the victim mindset? Why do we make these negative assumptions that people are out there to hurt us or the world is out there to hurt us? And, you know, it comes down to a lot about survival. We have, we have instincts in us that want to help to keep us alive. And many of us have heard of like the brainstem um, being referred to as like the reptilian brain. Well, if you think about a reptile... I know at one point in our life, we had like, I don't know, seven reptiles living in our apartment. And one of which was, uh, still is actually, um, a five foot two corn snake. So we have a snake that uh, we lived with for quite some time. We interacted with it and we want to personify these things. We want to, well, okay, it loves me, all this kind of stuff. But ultimately, 
from the best that I've been able to research, you know, reptiles are about survival. They're very much in that survival setting. They don't have the same elements of mammalian instincts so to make emotional bonds with other creatures. So if it's coming and cuddling up to you, it's probably because it just wants your body heat. You know, these kinds of different elements. So the same thing with, you know, when we think about love and joy and all that kind of stuff, this reptilian part of our mind isn't really focused so much on making positive emotional connections. It's not focusing on having fun. It's not focused on bringing joy to our life. It's focused on survival. And what is the best way to just survive? Not survive a happy, healthy life. What's the best way to just survive is to always attack first. It's always attack first because, you know, there's part of us that's always afraid when we let people in, we let people near us, or we take on new things, we open ourselves up to possibilities. What if it hurts us? What if we fail? What if, you know, that person isn't as genuine as we want them to be, or they're not able to show up for us the way that we want them to show up for us, and we get hurt? That's terrifying. So instead, we, you know, when especially when we're triggered into our fight-flight response, we end up kind of just coiling up like a snake and we get ready to just strike at anything that comes our way. And we're seeing more and more of this as the world has been in that fight-flight response for so long now, especially over the pandemic. So many people are in a survival mode and survival mode feeds this codependency and victim triangle. So this is why you know, it's so important for us to take a look at ways that we can kind of step out of that. And so much of it is that narrative change, um, doing things like gratitude practices, love and kindness or meta meditations, um, just kind of opening ourselves up. Again, mindfulness can be a fantastic tool to help us get out of that responsive mindset to give us the possibility to rewrite that narrative. But ultimately, that's what we're looking to do in our lives. You know, there was uh, something that I heard this winter. I guess it was a meme or something that I saw. And it said, happy people don't complain about the snow. Or happy people don't complain about the cold. And it's, it's an interesting thing to contemplate because if you're doing things that you love, if you're happy, you're not focused on those negative things. You're not focused on the fact that it's cold. You know, think about the rain. There's times where you're just in such a good mood that the rain can just make you feel so happy and you want to run out and you want to dance and sing in it. Then there's other times where you see a, a cloudy sky and you just think, oh my God, life is so difficult. Life is so hard. I don't want to be here anymore. All of this kind of stuff. So that idea, happy people don't complain about the snow. Happy people don't complain about the cold. That's that narrative shift. That's that peace that we can step into. So... You know, we've talked about a few different things here. We've talked about um, changing the narrative, finding the root cause behind, you know, why I'm not happy and this idea of I'm just going to be okay with it. This is what we're really looking to kind of break out of here um, with this episode that I really wanted to talk about. Because again, people feel like mindfulness and the practice of meditation helping us come into our mindfulness practice is to help us be okay with things. But those things are the narratives. Those things are the story. So instead of trying to build a life where there's a million things that you're okay with, if we change our narrative to create a life 
where there's less things that we need to be okay with and there's just so many things that we're really happy about, that is that real state. And that's when you're in that like beautiful state of joy, which actually tends to bring us into mindfulness. So it kind of comes full circle where, you know, when you're really feeling happy, happiness is a wake-up call. Like pure joy is a wake-up call. You'll notice it. When you enter into that state, there's these times where it just, it forces us. That, that state of mind, that joy, that happiness forces us to stop. And we go, oh man, life is really good. And whenever you stop and do that, that is that pure state of, of being in the present moment. And so, you know, as far as I'm concerned, like coming into it, trying to force ourselves to be in a state of mindfulness so we could be okay with these narratives versus changing the narratives and that brings us to the state of mindfulness, that brings us to the state of bliss body um, is like that much more potent way to dive into it. So this was just me throwing a whole bunch of, of different things at you that, you know, we can talk about how to help create and how to help set those boundaries. You know, we talked about boundaries being a really powerful way to break that, that codependency triangle, that victim triangle. Well, how do we create boundaries? Open and honest communication. And that could be a whole other realm that we talk about. It's like, what does it mean to really communicate? And the way that we communicate is so important. You can say all the right words, but what if you're bringing that narrative, if you're bringing that victim energy in with the narrative that you're saying with your communication that's all going to get picked up and it's all going to be taken to fuel again the maybe the person you're communicating with um, pain body and all of that kind of stuff so clean cure pure communication to just say like i love you but i just don't have the energy to to be this role for you and that could be a very powerful boundary and again everyone kind of we can't control the way that people react or respond to the boundaries that we set, but that's where this idea of like empowerment in ourselves is know that the boundaries that I'm setting are for everyone's betterment and hopefully, if nothing else, at least for yours. There was something that came up in um, in the book Polysecure, which is a really interesting uh, two books that I absolutely love. Um, attached, really small. A short book on attachment styles and polysecure that kind of takes that and expands on it a little bit more. I think it focuses more on, you know, finding that secure attachment within ourselves. And one of the things that they talk about in that book is this idea of breaking your connections down between, between safe havens and secure bases and being able to identify both what you're looking for in your life and what you have to offer in your life. And, you know, having that conversation with yourself so that you know to be able to pass it on to other people becomes really powerful. So I'll just briefly touch in on this. So um, Polysecure, you know, it is a book that looks a lot about talking about things from a polyamorous standpoint. But anyone who's ever looked into polyamory and, and even just on a curiosity basis will know even if you don't want to be polyamorous, polyamory and polyamorous books are very powerful on looking at how we communicate because it's hard enough to communicate when there's just you know you trying to communicate with maybe one significant other invite all kinds of other people into the mix where you're trying to deal with time and emotions and all of this kind of stuff communication has to be key that's why it's talked about so clearly in a lot of these books but anyway going back to polysecure when it talks about safe havens it talks about those friends we we know who they are 
that feel like so much time can go by. It doesn't matter how much time goes by, but every time that you get together with them, every time that you talk to them, it's just so amazing. You know that you got their back, they have your back. And think about how with those friends, try to bring one to your mind right now, that because you know them to be that friend, for whatever reason, you know them to be that friend, that it doesn't, it doesn't hinder the friendship if a bunch of time does go by. It doesn't hinder that friendship if, if you end up having to, you know, go months or whatever without seeing each other. It's almost like there's a level of acceptance that comes into this is what the relationship is. For whatever reason, maybe they live in another country, maybe they live in another province, or maybe we just know that, oh, they just had kids or whatever. There's like acceptance for they have what they have going on, I have what I have going on, and it's okay when we do get together, it's going to be great. And that's that abundance mindset that I was talking about earlier. There is less expectation there, and we know that we have each other's backs. Then there's the secure bases. So the secure bases, so that was safe havens, the secure bases are those that we kind of have each other's backs beneath the scenes. We're taking care of things for each other. We're, we're constantly in a bit of that like support element there. You know, I think about my, my wife. She's an amazing um, secure base for me. There's things that she'll do where, you know, she knows that I have some events coming up or whatever without even asking her, without even interacting with her. There'll just be a little text message saying, hey, I know you had a busy day. I made some extra food so you could take that for lunch. This is going on here and I've done X, Y, and Z for you. And that's incredible. The fact that, you know, she can do that and hold that for me and support me in that way. Um, I absolutely love that. And having that secure base is so beneficial in those kinds of situations. But that also takes a whole other energy of its own. And how many people can we be secure bases for before we're completely burnt out as far as that goes? Sometimes it's hard enough to just be that kind of a secure base for one person. So um, where we, we kind of go from this is like when we're making new connections with people, having that dialogue up front and saying, you know, this is what I'm looking for. I'm looking for someone who's going to be a secure base for me, or I'm looking for some more safe havens in my life. And sometimes, you know, we try to get both. And often that comes up um, in like those either significant uh, figures. Some would say like to build true attachment bond, we need a little bit of secure base and safe haven. And yet sometimes someone can be a secure base for us. Like sometimes I know Lauren, my wife, she'll feel like she can still maintain a secure base for me, but just where her energy's at, she's depleted if she's been working with other people or training, whatever, that maybe she just doesn't have the energy for me to come home and say, let me tell you about my day. I've had all this happen and this is going on and this is happening and all of this kind of stuff. She might say like, maybe you should call one of your other friends right now or one of your safe havens to hear all of this because I just don't have the energy for it. And again, if I can just accept Lauren for who she is, not get some sort of a narrative around, well, she's my wife. She should, you know, be there to hear me out no matter what, even if she doesn't want to and all of this kind of stuff. Let go of expectations, recognize that maybe sometimes her role shifts and she, you know, can be a safe haven or sometimes just a secure base or sometimes both. It's that opening up to the acceptance of what people have to offer that help to kind of like shift that and being able to be clear in your communication. So Lauren, in that case, being able to say, I can't be this for you. I can be this for you. 
That's that clear communication. Now, again, we can be as clear as we can. Sometimes people don't know how to take that. Some people don't know how to deal with honest and clear communication. And we can't help that aspect of it. All we could do is keep practicing it. And eventually people might recognize, oh, this isn't something that they're doing to hurt me. This might actually be who they are. Um, And even if they're not there, you've still done your job. You've done your work. You've communicated your needs, wants, desires um, to the best of your ability. So again, a little bit of a rambling on episode. Hopefully there's some different things in here that you can kind of take from it. If there's anything that I kind of brushed on that you would like to hear more of, that you'd want more um, you know, expansion on, maybe with communication, maybe with the codependency triangles or any of that kind of stuff, um, always just let me know. That's, that's what this podcast is for. It's supposed to be um, for all of you who are listening. So let me know if you want more of something, if you want to go deeper into something and we can kind of get through this. I was talking to someone recently and um, I put them in touch with someone and gave them some resources and stuff like that, things to look into. And they started thanking me. Oh, thank you so much for this. And I just said, you know, we're all just trying to get through this human experience the best of our abilities. Why wouldn't we want to support each other through it? Why wouldn't we want to get through it together and feel like a team? So that's what this is all about. So hopefully you got something out of this podcast. I know I kind of went on some tangents uh, as I typically do. I feel like sometimes the guests actually help keep me on track. Um, But hopefully you got something out of it and um, we'll catch you next time. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Higher Potential Living Podcast. If you would like to learn more about Higher Potential Living and the services we offer, please visit www.higherpotentialliving.com. We offer different online courses, in-person courses, mindfulness and meditation retreats, and we have a variety of different coaches that are there to help you with anything that you might be going through. So please check us out. You can also help support the work we do by subscribing to this podcast anywhere you're listening and of course, sharing it and telling your friends all about it. Thank you so much and have a great day.